Well, good morning, Redeeming Grace Church. On this last Sunday of the year, how glad are you that 2023 is coming to an end, and how glad are you that 2024 is about to be here? Uh, I just want to embarrass the people that are with me for just a moment before we start. I'm just going to have my friends stand where they are because they really, they told me they wanted to do this. And so if you could stand, because I have a purpose in why I'm having you stand. So this is my best friend, Jeff McFadden. This is my beautiful wife, Tara the Blonde. And this is our dear friend, Sherry. We're all here not only to support me and us you know, coming here, but also to support you as a church. And I just wanted you to meet them because they're awesome people. So thank you guys for coming to uh, be a part of this morning. Really, we have prayed for your church for many, many years. Most of you know me, uh, I think, maybe through The Grove, as the director of The Grove. Um, and it's a privilege, and I mean this with all my heart, it is a privilege to represent you and the other Grove churches uh, across the state as we think about planting healthy churches within driving distance of every person in Arizona. That's our, that's our, that's our ambitious mission together as, as a part of The Grove. And uh, we've been praying and working for years, and I've, I've seen some of you at the Grove Conference. We've had two of them uh, last year and the year before. We'll have another one this year. I hope to see all of you at the Grove Conference in September of 2024. Um, but we are, as, you, as I know you know, and as we've been praying, and you're going to get to meet John Pope in a few weeks, uh, but we have our first church plant that we're going to plant in Mesa at the uh, back end of 2024. So be praying about that. I'll be praying for John and his team. Be praying and consider whether you should be a part of that. Maybe the Lord will draw you. I know that as John's going to these churches, the Grove churches, and sharing his vision for what God's calling him into, there are people who are responding and saying, I'm going to go. And so it's been really exciting to see. So I wanted you to, to know about that. And then lastly, before we get into um, Acts chapter 8, which you can begin to turn to now if you're not there already, I just want to say that uh, your pastor, John Dietrich, is just a dear friend of mine. I know I said this to you the last time I was here at the other building, um, and maybe the next time I'm here, you'll be at a different building. Um, you guys seem to move a lot. <laughs> I've, I've been praying for you in all of this. Um, but John has become the kind of friend that I, I think I text pretty much every day or every other day. He's that, that, that close of a friend. And so um, it's just a privilege to be here where he pastors. I've been dear friends with John Filkey for years before this too, so I love this church. I'm so glad to be here this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to jump right into the middle of a section, uh, so I'll give you some context here as we go, but turn now to Acts chapter 8. None of that counted against my sermon time, okay? So that was all just free for me, I guess, hopefully. We'll see. Acts chapter 8, we're going to be verses 26 through 40. I grew up in this small little town in um, Pennsylvania, a town of 5,000 people, a very small community. Uh, almost dead center of the state called Montoursville, the kind of place you could go. Uh, you know at the end of the day what happened in the morning all across the little town. Everybody knew what happened. You could ride your bikes through the forests of this, of this area without any fear of being kidnapped or, you know, this was the mid-80s. And so if you saw Stranger Things at all, it was like that, that vibe. Um, and then I moved with my family west to Arizona in 1986. I was nine, ten years old, I didn't know if I was ever going to get back to my small little town. Seventeen years later, I was finishing the pastor's college training uh, in Maryland, and my wife surprised me with this road trip, because what I really didn't realize, I think at the time, was that my hometown was just a short four-hour drive north of where 
we were studying, where I was studying and where we were living. And so she, you know, worked it out behind the scenes with the dean of the college at the end of the school when nothing's really happening the last week to miss a few days so we could stay at a bed and breakfast, check this out, at the end of the street where I grew up. It didn't even exist when I was a kid, but at the end of the street where I grew up, there was a bed and breakfast, and so she worked it out so that we could stay at this place. And it still to this day is one of the most amazing trips I've ever taken, like nostalgia lane as we walked down my street that I left when I was 10. There were these weird, I don't even know how to describe them, there were these weird bluish colored berries that, that were on this tree. I've never seen them anywhere else. They were on the ground. We went to my old house, visited my old house, which I thought was massive. It was uh, very small, had a one-car garage in this little tiny backyard that I thought was, was massive. Um, we hopped in our car and we began to drive around, and something very odd happened because as we drove, I had a strong sense to turn the car right. Now, keep in mind, I was like nine when we left, and so I had not driven these roads before, but I wanted, I, there was something pulling me to the right, something I needed to see that way. And we drove for about a half a minute. We came upon the junior high school where I was supposed to attend and where we played so many of our soccer practices and soccer games and all these memories started flooding back to me from when I was a kid, sat there looking at this field and talking about all of the stories of what happened. My wife, I'm sure, was excited about hearing about all my childhood soccer games. That was great for her. Um, When we left there, I was like, maybe I could find some other places where I was hanging out as a kid. And so I started just kind of like, navigating, you know, just lefts and rights. And I found my way to this, this community pool, Montoursville community pool. It's this little pool in the middle of this little town of 5,000 people in the middle of nowhere where I first learned to swim. I hadn't been there in 20 years. But even just the roads of taking there as a kid was enough to guide me back to this this pool. And I looked at this, at this pool. Now, this pool is significant in my life because this is where I learned how to swim. I ended up swimming for 11 years. I got a swimming scholarship to go swim in college at the University of Denver in 1994, where for the first time I heard the gospel preach, and I became a Christian, and I received Christ. And I was at a pastor's college being trained to be a pastor, and I could see this pool and the connection of what God had done to get me from that spot as a nine-year-old kid And all the way through the course of my life, God guided me to hear the gospel. It was completely overwhelming to me in that moment. Maybe you've forgotten as the tragedies and trials and pains and aches and bumps and bruises of this life over the course of 2023, maybe you've forgotten that God is on the move, that he's real, he's active, He's moving, he's saving. Maybe you've forgotten that God is on the move. And there's something about following the Lord that's a bit like driving around in Montoursville, where you don't really know which road to take or which path to go, but we do have a guide. God is our guide. God guides our paths. He guides our words. He guides our lives for the sake of his own glory. These these vapor-like lives that we are all existing in, which come and go in a moment. He's guiding us for the sake of his own glory in the earth. And our job is simply to be obedient, to follow him where he leads and to serve him as he calls. That's our job. It's your job as a Christian. If you follow Christ, follow him. 
If you follow him in obedience and serve him as he, call, as he calls you to, if you do that, you will find that God has all sorts of divine appointments lined up for you as you turn the corner into 2024, maybe every single day of the year. We're going to see this truth in the passage before us this morning. Here it is. God guides us to guide others to the gospel. I'm standing here on this stage because this is true. God guides us to guide others to the gospel. So I want to just have a very brief moment of prayer once more as we unfold the words. Father, please help me as I, as I try my best to preach what is in your word and help this dear church and all of the hundreds of thousands of things that you're doing in their lives, individually and then corporately. Lord, help them to rally around you and to follow you and have faith in you and to trust you as they step into faith, as this new year comes, in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 8, we're jumping into the middle of this book. Uh, let me give you the context. This book is really, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but really if you read chapter 1, it's, it's the Acts of Jesus. What Jesus began to do in the Gospel of Luke, and what Jesus continues to do through his church in the book of Acts. And we see in the passage right before this, which we're not going to spend any time on, but right before this is the first death, the first martyr of the Christian faith in Stephen. The beginning of chapter 8, we see Saul is approving of his execution, and Stephen gives us this, this great word, this first sermon that leads to his death. Saul is there. He's approving of this execution of of Stephen as he's charged with blaspheming. And on that day in, in chapter 8, verse 1, there arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. And then in verse 5, as they scatter to preach the word, Philip goes down to the city of Samaria, and he begins this evangelism explosion in Samaria, begins preaching the gospel. And it's, there's healings taking place, and there's deliverance from, from demon possession, and, and, and most joyfully, there's conversions happening as he's preaching the gospel. Even Simon the magician, go back and read the story, even Simon the magician, who had some, some, kind, of, some kind of power, is like, how do I get in on that? God is doing a massive work as Philip is preaching the gospel, but whatever your greatest memory of seeing God work in your life is, Philip's the guy in the room who can like one-up you. You know, he's like, yeah, let me tell you the story of Simon the magician. And so he goes down, he evangelizes, he comes back with Peter and James at the end of, of the, the section right before ours. They're preaching the gospel everywhere they go on their way back. God is on the move. He gets back to Jerusalem. I'm sure it's like having a, a camp experience where you go, you're on a spiritual high you know, you've been, to, you've been to camp or you know someone who went to camp that comes back from, from camp with this like spiritual lift, the spiritual high. What, what, what might God do next? What's God going to do now? What's God going to do next? I can't believe what just happened here. What's God going to do now? I'm sure that's in Philip's mind and in his heart. Well, look in verse 26. Now, that's the context. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, so right out of the gate, he gets back. He's greeted with an angel. I'm sure that Philip's heart is starting to race 
as he's encountered with this, this angel, he knows he's got another assignment that's coming. It's like, I'm ready. Did you see what just happened down in Samaria? I'm ready. What's the assignment? Where are we going? We're going to Rome? We're going to Egypt? Where are we going? Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Now, all eyes have been on Gaza recently with the attack on Israel. Every day we get updates of what's happening in this part of the world. But when we read this here, we have to understand that first century Gaza was more of a ghost town. It, it was not exactly a hot spot resort destination. You know you're in trouble when the words on the brochure are road to Gaza, this is a desert place. This is not a place you're going to go for vacation. And not Arizona desert. We have, a, we have a water supply here. This is a desert, desert place. <laughs> go to Nogales or go to Florence. or go, I've, I've not been to these places, so I don't know. They, they, I'm sure they have water. So it's even better than what we're talking about in Gaza. I'm, I, I, I said Florence in the first time I ever preached this sermon, and then I have a really good friend now who ministers in Florence at a thousand-person church. I told him, I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I used your city in my first sermon. So anyhow, let me orient you for just a moment as to where Gaza is on the map. And so you get some, a picture of what's happening here. You've got Jerusalem up top, you've got Samaria down below, and then you've got Gaza is the last water stop in southwest Israel. So it's an old town, it's laying in ruins, and that's after, after the success of Samaria, that's where God wants Philip to go. I just want you to situate yourself for a moment in Philip's shoes as you think about your life and what you think success looks like, and what you think God's doing, and what you want God to do, and to think about the way this is flowing. Success in Samaria, what are you going to do next? Go to Gaza. It's a desert place. And to his credit, Philip doesn't argue, or negotiate, or try to run away like Jonah. Philip gets up, and he follows his instructions, and he begins to make his way down through this desert place, solely desiring to follow God. He gets up and he goes solely to follow God. He has no idea where he's going. He has no idea when he's supposed to stop. He has no idea what he's supposed to do when he gets there. That feels an awful lot like most of our lives, right? Most of our lives feel like we don't know where we're going. We don't know when we're supposed to stop. And even if we did, we don't know what we're supposed to do when we get there. But on the way down to this road, the purpose for his trip becomes revealed. There appears on this strange, on this road, a strange man in a chariot. Read along with me in the text. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, who is this guy? Luke, the author, gives us all of these important details. We learn he's an Ethiopian, which is an area that's located in modern-day northern Sudan, just south of the Egyptian border. He is an African. He served as the treasurer to the queen, so he was trustworthy and likely himself very wealthy. So he's an important guy. He's a eunuch, 
which, how do I say what this means? He, he took severe action to make sure that he wasn't able to have children. Let me just say it that way. This was the custom of the day of the court of officials, especially for men who worked with women. And he's a religious man. It says he had just made a thousand mile journey to Jerusalem to worship God. And so he's likely a Gentile God-fearer, which means he's not ethnically a Jew, doesn't follow all the Mosaic law, but he has heard of the God of Judaism and he's connected himself now to this Jewish faith. And as Philip goes down from Jerusalem, following the plan of God, following the guidance of God, don't know where he's going, don't know where he should stop, don't know what he's supposed to do when he gets there, he passes this man in the chariot and he hears him reading aloud from the prophet Isaiah, verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. I hope and trust you can see that what's unfolding here is no accident. God is guiding his path. In the orchestra, there are many instruments playing the various parts at their various times, but it's the conductor who brings out the sounds to perfectly play the sheet of music in front of him. All eyes are on the conductor as he moves his baton back and forth so that the violins follow his lead and the tuba begins to bellow in its bass God is the one who's writing the musical score of 2023. He's the one that's writing the musical score to 2024. God is the one directing the orchestra of your church. Our sovereign God guides our paths to give others the gospel for the sake of his glory. It's God who puts Philip on the road at this time to encounter this man. This is a divine interaction. Do you see that in your life? God has put you on your path at this time, in this place, for divine interactions for the sake of his glory and for the sake of his gospel. That's what the author Luke wants you to know by giving you all of these details, that there are no accidental encounters, but instead a series of God-intended opportunities for the gospel. Because he is moving. He is moving. Can I get an amen from the brothers and sisters in the room? He's moving. Think about it. He's moving right now at the end of this year, perfectly setting up 2024. He's moving through his church. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him. I think that would have freaked me out if I was in the chariot <laughs> and some stranger just is like running fast as he can to me and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? Verse 31 and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This scene is brimming with gospel hope. Fresh with faith from Samaria, Philip knows that God is at work. So he runs to the chariot. He comes near the Ethiopian. He says one simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? And amazingly, this man of prestige is humble and says, I don't understand what this is. How can I unless someone guides me? So think about this. This man just traveled the distance between Phoenix and Denver to worship the God of Isaiah as he's reading the precious scroll, which most people would not have access to. So he's, he's got the precious words of God, and he's reading it out loud to memorize its contents, and he doesn't even know what it means. How can I, he says unless someone guides me. 
Are you my guide? He invites Philip to come and sit with him in his chariot. Just think with me. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that God sends his servant Philip down a, a dirt road, down a desert road to give the rivers of living water to this man who otherwise wouldn't know, this thirsty man. Isn't it good that God gives us a guide? When I was 20, I became a Christian in college, and God put Christians around me. I didn't know this at the time, sovereignly and providentially, so that as he began to work in my heart and I began to ask questions, there were people around me who could point me to Jesus. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Little did the Ethiopian know that this God who he went to Jerusalem to worship had been guiding him all the way there and all the way home so that at the right time, at the perfect time, at the perfect spot, the perfect place, he would intersect with Philip on this deserted road. I mean, if you're a humanist and there is no God, just think of just the odds, the the probability of this taking place is so thin. But there is a sovereign God, and God guides us to guide others to the gospel. That's what I want you to get from this text. He guides us to guide others to the gospel. Verse 32. Now, the passage of the scripture he was reading was this. And he's going to be quoting from Isaiah 53, which we've already heard read, and we have you have in your bulletins. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer was silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This is Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. In these verses and the ones that surround them, Isaiah is describing the suffering servant of God, the one whom the Lord would crush the one whom the Lord would put to grief for the sins of God's people. And this eunuch is asking the right question. He's asking, who is this one? Who is this one? Who is this guy that Isaiah is talking about? Is it Isaiah? Is it someone else? Who is it? Tell me what this means. See, one of the pictures we see here is that for all of the wealth and all of the riches and all of the status that he has in the court of the queen, when it comes to religion, he is an outsider. After making his trek to Jerusalem, the best that this man could have done would have been to stand at a distance. He was a castrated man. He wouldn't have been allowed into the temple to make sacrifices, but only in the court of Gentiles, according to Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. And so his journey that he just did to Jerusalem taught him that in religion, he is kept at distance from God. But in the gospel, he hears much sweeter news. God draws even outcasts, even those on the outside, in, near, close, loved. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, He told him the good news about Jesus. There is much better news in Christ than in the outsider land of religion for this eunuch. Friends, life is all about Jesus. Lock that away again at the end of this year. Lock it in your brains for the beginning of 2024. Your life is about 
Jesus. And not just when you're on the desert road following the explicit command of an angel, but in all of life, treasuring Christ, living for Christ, proclaiming Christ. This is what life is about. And Philip tells the Ethiopian about Jesus. This lamb that you're reading about that was led to the slaughter, this lamb is like no other lamb. This is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the fulfillment of all the scripture's promises, especially Isaiah 53. Rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was despised. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. All, we like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. All. That is good news to close the year. The good news that Philip proclaimed was that the one that Isaiah was pointing to has come. He has come. He has lived. He has died. And the Lord crushed him on the cross and put him to grief under the weight of judgment for my sin and for your sin. And yet Jesus, who was pierced and crushed for our iniquities, as we know and believe as Christians, he didn't stay dead. He miraculously and gloriously burst out of the burial clothes and out of the grave and is alive. And not only that, he is welcoming anyone. And I say this to you today, anyone, anyone, anyone in this room, anyone in the listening of this message, anyone who wants to be right with God can come find reconciliation through repentance and faith in the atoning work of the cross. And it's the only way. And yet everyone is welcome. Even castrated Gentiles are welcomed into this kingdom. Oh, what sweet news this is when you're standing outside of the gates and you're looking in. You know that feeling when you, you, know, you don't have the ticket to the big event and you're looking outside the stadium and you're looking in at what's happening. What sweet news it is to have the door open for you to walk in. Religion puts its hope in the works of man to keep you on the outside. The gospel offers hope by faith in the work of the perfect man and draws you near to God. I wonder if Philip said to the eunuch, keep reading, keep reading. And as he kept going down the scroll, I wonder if he got to chapter 56, which says this, verse three, it's not on the screen, just listen. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That's the good news of Jesus that Philip proclaims. And in this preaching of this word, the Ethiopian is converted He believes that Jesus is this Messiah, and he's claimed by God as his child. How do we know? So convinced of his newfound faith that as they pass by water, the eunuch says he wants to get baptized as an expression of his belief in Jesus. Verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, this is not all the theology that there is to know about baptism and whether, you know, as you see in the rest of the New Testament, baptism is an ordinance of the local church and all sorts of other things. But what I want to point out here is this man is so zealous 
about his newfound faith that he's like, what could keep me from doing the thing that I should do to follow Christ? And there's no churches around in verse 38. He commanded the church, the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, you're probably wondering, how did Philip disappear? That's a great question for you to ask Pastor John next Sunday. He mysteriously disappears from the scene. He winds up in Caesarea. We see Philip again in Acts chapter 21. But the focus here is that the Ethiopian has received the gospel. He goes back to Candace's court. It says, rejoicing. And you know why we should rejoice in this news? Because the world has received its first African convert. Church history records the spread of the gospel into Africa, beginning from this man. And we rejoice that the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. The conversion account is in your Bible that you would know, that you would know and believe. And I'm pressing this towards you as you turn the corner into the new year, that God's gospel is unstoppable and it breaks down every wall that stands in its way. Last week's passage, last uh, passage before this is the half-Jew Samaritans. And then this passage is the God-fearing Africans. And then Paul, Saul is going to become Paul. He's going to become converted. And then soon it's going to be Cornelius the Gentile. And then to the ends of the earth. Everyone gets in on this good news. If you're not a follower of Christ, there's great news for you today. God has guided you to hear this message this morning to respond to the good news of the gospel. It has not expired yet. We just went through our pantry yesterday as we're beginning the new year, and we're looking at expiration dates and making sure everything is up to speed. And some things you're like, that isn't going to work. The gospel doesn't expire. You will stand before the almighty God and give an account for your life. And when you do, your sins will accuse you. They will demand a verdict of justice from God. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you if you stand apart from Christ. And you will be separated from the love of God for all eternity. If that sounds completely unacceptable to you and the offer of life everlasting in God, with God, learning from God, enjoying God forever, if that sounds more like what your heart beats for, then make today the day that you renounce any other way of receiving grace other than by grace, through faith in Christ and his shed blood for you on the cross. Man, 2024 is going to be a wild year for you if you do. As Christians, God guides us to guide others to the gospel. And this should build your faith. God has been at work long before we ever hit the scene. Stephen dies in Acts chapter 8 so that God would go save Samaritans. And Philip goes so that God saves Ethiopians. And we're here so that God would save Phoenicians. God is the main character. And he loves to save people. Who's the greatest evangelist? God. God is the greatest evangelist in the world. 
He loves his plan of redemption. He's working his plan of redemption right now. You want a front row to see the miraculous happen, to see resurrection power? You want a front row seat to that? Share the gospel with someone and watch God change their life the way he changed my life when I was 19, 20 years old in college. It's two dangers that I see from this passage, and I want to just point them out. One is assuming that everything we should do as Christians should be accompanied by the voice of God. One danger is to say, we must have an angel speaking, and we see it here, an angel spoke to him, so we must have an angel or some kind of distinguishable word from God to have confidence to act for the Lord. That's simply not true. This passage is not meant to become sort of an always and forever paradigm for decision-making. Most of our decisions are not based on impressions or like spiritual words. I'm sure when you got up today, you didn't hear audibly from the Lord what jacket you should wear what clothes you should put on. Most of our decisions are based on wisdom formed from God's word. And also it's cold in here, so you should wear a jacket. So that's one danger. But the other danger is that because we've been given the ability to think and reason and discern and rationalize, that we wouldn't seek God's face at all in our decisions, that we'd assume he's no longer involved or that he doesn't care He's just given it to us to do. And we're like, thank you very much. We can do just fine without you. Or that we wouldn't be listening to him when he does guide us by his spirit. I think the opposite is actually true. God is still guiding us today. And God wants us to still seek his face today. Under the direction of the normative word of God, of course. But I read this quote, and I think this has stayed with me. And it's, I'm going to read it slow because I think every word is important. The Lord of all creation has ordained that he would do his work in the earth, that's my words, in the earth, through us. That is a powerful sentence. The Lord of all creation has ordained that he would do his work through us. Our seeking the Spirit's guidance and obeying what he wants us to do and say is the way he works to bless. God is still guiding us by his spirit today through the wisdom of his word. It might not always be an audible voice or a distinguishable word. Sometimes it might be. He's never going to contradict what he's spoken in his word, the Bible. But sometimes he whispers things to your heart, Bible truths, promises, in a specific way for the building up of your life or the consoling of your life or the encouragement you need or for the sake of others. I'm going to share just a few personal stories as we close our sermon this morning. But it was about a year or so ago, I was um, the lead pastor at Grace Church. We planted the church in 2009. And my wife and I had been praying about whether or not we should be moving to a different assignment and or whether we should continue on in the work at our church. And I was preaching through the book of Hebrews at the time. And I was preaching in the section of Hebrews 11, where it talks about faith, the hall of faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And I was preaching through the section on Abraham. By faith, Abraham went, not knowing where he was going. And I distinctly remember the moment when I said to the church, I said, is that, do you have that kind of faith? And then some form of subtle rebuke inside of my head and heart came, do you? And I got to be honest with you, I was kind of shook. I was like, nope. 
in that moment. And that began conversations with my wife of, what does it look for us to step out in faith? The Lord had been guiding our path towards international missions in addition to doing work for the Grove. And so we took a trip about three months later, and we had a series of really significant conversations that led us to a decision in January of this last year where we made the decision to step away from being the lead pastor of that church that we planted after. And I love this church. Lance and Bonnie Sullivan came from our church. So, you know, we lost, you guys won. And so that's fine. I'm not mad about it. But we love this church and the Lord is guiding us on a different path. And we were, I was wrestling with whether or not we should make this decision. And there was a moment one night where the Lord, I think in his, in his kindness to me to help me move forward. Again, these are not like, I'm not hearing from an angel of the Lord, but at midnight and I'm praying and there is a subjective sense of completion and, and, and this thought of you've, you've completed what I've, I've given you to start, that I didn't shake and I haven't shaken. And we stepped off, stepped out of that role in September to go pursue global missions and to train pastors. 85% of the world's pastors in the majority world have no formal training whatsoever. Two million pastors have less than one hour of Bible training. And I am theologically obese. And also physically obese. I'm working on that as well too. But I have been trained and been given so much. And so part of our heart is to go and train and equip and encourage other pastors so next Sunday, I'm on a plane to Colombia for the fourth time going to Bogota to train an unbelievably sweet, um, zealous group of pastors and their wives for, for an eight-day period of time. And then we're going to Italy in March and Zambia in June. And this is the result of the Lord's guiding our path. And it was scary, really scary. So if you've got something in your life you're praying about, I understand that there's fear but the Lord is guiding our lives. He guides us to guide others to the gospel. We must see our whole lives as, as those who are following Jesus into mission. He'll guide you to people who need hope. He'll guide you to people who need truth. I was, I was coming back from the training for this new role in Austin, Texas, back in February, and I was a C on Southwest Airlines, which really is not great. In fact, I was a C-44. It's not great. And so I get on the plane, and I'm just, just praying, Lord, make there be one aisle seat. I don't deserve it, Lord. And so I make my way to the back of the plane, and there's two aisle seats open. And I try to decide, where do I sit? And, of course, the person violated the rule of Southwest Airlines flying. If you're in a seat, what do you never do? I heard it from somebody. Make eye contact, right? You don't make eye contact, and this, this woman in the window looked up at me. I was like, boom, I'm sitting there. Sorry, you broke the rule. I made, you made eye contact. So I sit down next to her in the aisle. There's a middle seat that's open, and there's only like 10 or 12 more people left in the plane. And so I'm just, I make small talk with her like we've known each other forever. And we're just, I'm hoping that, you know, no one sits there, which no one did. But in the course of that small talk, she says to me, well, this happened, and she holds up her hand. Now, she's got black nails like this long. And she's coming back from Austin. I said, you flew to Austin to get your nails done? I'm not, I'm not here to judge. I'm just trying to clarify. And she's like, no. And she points at the ring that's on her finger. And I'm like, how am I supposed to know that you just got engaged? She just got engaged. And she begins to tell me this story. And I'm like, I'm like well, that's awesome. And she goes, I guess. Now, 
This is for the younger people in the room. Pro tip. If when you get engaged, your response is, I guess, to someone being excited for you, you're probably making the wrong decision. I go, I guess, and I begin to talk with her, and I'm going to leave out 100,000 details. But I kept repeating back to her what she told me. I, said, I kept saying, let me just recap for you what you're telling me. You met this man on a video game chat, a video game community board. Didn't know those even existed anymore. But you met them on a community board, and you've only seen him in person three times, and he lives out of state from you, and your mother hates him because he's 23 years older than you are. And already in the times you've met with him, you've experienced a significant amount of anger from him to the point where you're scared to break off the engagement. I was like, these are big red flags. And so I'm trying my best. I'm like, I'm, who am I to break up an engagement? I'm just trying to like be a mirror and be like, let me just show you what you're saying to me. And she's starting to connect dots. I use as an illustration, I said, you know, it's, it's kind of like if some, you go on the first date with someone and they are, they're, they're rude to the waiter. It's probably a good, not a good sign. And she was like, that's exactly what he did. I was like, no, that was supposed to be an illustration. That wasn't meant to be like your story. And she gets to the point, she's trying to go into a church, actually started going to church in Scottsdale. She said, I said, what's the name of the church? I got the name. I texted Tara. I said, look this up to make sure this is legit. It, it was. So I was like, great, you're in a church. Go talk to your pastors. Bring this to them. Help them. And I've never seen her talk with her since. But she said to me at the end of that conversation, she said, I just think I needed someone to talk to. Now, the reason why I was a C was not because I was off my Southwest game, okay? I was an A on the flight that left an hour later. But as I passed by that particular gate, and I saw Phoenix an hour earlier, I can go home to Tara an hour earlier, I said, how many points would it take to change? And she said, not that many, but you're going to have to be a C. I was like, done. I'm doing it. So I say to her, I think God wanted me to talk to you. And I was able to encourage her in the gospel. We must see our whole lives as following Jesus on mission. Every moment, God is preparing, pruning, using, shaping, guiding through prayer, through providence, exactly where you need to be to serve him. And you all have a different assignment. You all have an assignment from God. Don't worry about whether your assignment looks like their assignment and so on. You have your own assignment from God. And some of you will go through the desert place. Nobody wants to go through the desert place. Even in those places, God is at work. The angel here says, rise and go to Gaza. And Philip rises and he goes. So my charge to you is go where God leads, even if it's a desert place. Life is not always revival. Sometimes it's heartbreaking. Last story. One of the original church plant members for our church, Grace Church, dear friends with Lance and Bonnie, names are Luz and Cole. In this calendar year, they got pregnant for the first time, a little bit later in age, and right at the end of the term, lost their baby. And on that day, the next day, the husband, Cole, was scheduled to have testicular cancer surgery. And then the following day was his birthday. It's just a really, really, really difficult week. They went radio silent for pretty much most of that week. And then we get a call that's, or a text that said, can you talk with us? This is my wife and I. And we hop on a Zoom call with them after church 
And from the moment we were on that call, it was like I had not experienced grief like that in a long time. I think we sat just instantly crying for about five minutes. And we just sat with them. So Philip goes to them, and in this case, we jump into a Zoom call, and we're here, we're talking. And the Lord uses that, even those kinds of heartbreaking conversations and situations to help guide others to the reality of resurrection and hope, trust. Our map is Bible-colored, and our GPS route is Spirit-powered. If we follow them as our guide, they will take us exactly to where God wants us to go to accomplish his purposes. I want to speak just corporately to you as we close. I know, because I talk to John every day or every other day, I know there's a lot of moving pieces happening in this church. I know God is on the move in this church. God's going to be on the move in 2024 for redeeming grace. The question, I just want you to hear this, the question is not, is God leading us into 2024? The question is, Will you follow where God leads you in 2024? Will you follow him? Will you follow him into suffering if that's what's going to open a door to speak about Jesus? Will you follow him to drive a little bit further if you're moved to a new building? Will you follow him into less recognition if that's what it means to open a door to speak about Jesus? Will you follow him into a complete rearrangement of your vocation and ambitions and if that's what it means to speak about Jesus? Will you follow him into costly obedience Rise and go if that's what's going to open a door to speak about Jesus in 2024. As a church, will you follow where God is taking you? God guides you to guide others to the gospel. And if you do, brothers and sisters, you will see divine opportunities all over the place. I can't wait to come back sometime in 2024, may the Lord will, and to hear about the stories of how God moves through you in your church. Let's pray together. Father, just thank you for encountering us this morning with your truth. Thank you for orienting our hearts and our minds. Quite honestly, I personally need this truth to follow you into this next year. We need this truth, Lord. Thank you that you've demonstrated yourself faithful in the highs, the triumphs of Samaria, in the desert places of Gaza, and every place in between, Lord, you are good. You are sovereign. You are wise. Lord, make 2024 a year of great joy in you. I pray it would be prosperous for the sake of the gospel through this church. We pray collectively that you'll do great work across the city and state through the grove. Lord, may you have your way with us for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.